0: So glad that you are here. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 20 again. Interesting passage. It's a little bit of a challenging passage. It's always fun, right? It's always fun when Jesus challenges us. Most times. Let's be honest, it's tough. We we like what we like. We like where we stand. And when he changes some things, when he flips things upside down, it's a little tough for us. When I was in college and playing soccer, I hated running. I hated running. It's the reason I played defense. You don't have to run as much. Tried to play midfield when I first got there, which is the guys in the middle that kind of plays both defense and offense, and found out real quick that my calves would not survive as they cramped up first game and I was done. Got benched about halfway through the season and I thought, well, that was kind of pointless. New coach comes in the second year. He was there our second and third year. We got a new coach the fourth year. Three coaches in four years. That tells you what kind of soccer program I was at. This guy was good. He was much better. And he prepared us a little bit better to be ready. And we realized that in order to succeed, there was some work that we had to do. There were skills we had to adapt and, and take on. There was some conditioning that we had to do better. And then the fourth or the third coach in my fourth year... He was way overboard, way on top of this thing. He expected us to run during the summer to be in shape before we came in for the season. (laughs) So because of the three years previous, I thought, nah, he's not that serious because the other two coaches weren't. Well, he was. And I beat the time that we had to beat by the skin of my teeth. I fell across the finish line at the last second. And the only reason I was able to do it is because he forgot to start the clock the first time we ran it. It's the only reason I was able to make it. But he expected us to be in a certain condition to work hard, to strive, to to go out and do the hard work outside of the games. Because if we expected to be excellent in the games, there was work to be done. There was things that we had to accomplish before we even set foot on the pitch to be able to play. And even in your workplace, you don't just show up to a place and say, hey, I want to work here and have no skills for that place. Now, there are some, but most of them are going to ask you, what can you offer? What do you bring? What skills do you have that's going to help with this job? And so in everything in our life, there is a preparation time. There are things that we need in order to succeed what we're going to do. In order to be excellent at it, we've got to be prepared. And Jesus does no different. In fact, what we're going to see today is he says, if you want to be served, then you need to learn how to serve. If you expect something great, you've got to learn how to be less. And we live in such a society that that is backwards. I am this person, so I deserve this. And Jesus simply says, to be great, learn to serve. To win that soccer game, learn how to run early mornings. Learn how to do the crunches to build your core. Learn how to do the skills. Learn how to play with your teammates. Learn how to play the game so that you may be excellent in what you're doing. And folks... This Christian walk that we are all walking is no different. If we want to be great in the kingdom of God, Jesus said, learn how to serve. Learn how to get a little dirty. Learn how to go to the low places and deal with the low things. Do you know how Jesus can say that with confidence? Because he was the king of kings, the Lord of lords in heaven with his father. And he came to live on this earth. And endure all that he endured. He came to serve. So let's look how this passage unfolds. And see how we can learn how to be great. By learning how to serve. In Matthew chapter 20, we're going to start in verse 20. And we're going to read these verses. We're going to peel them off. And then we've got some points that I want us to see this morning. He says, then the mother of Zebedee's sons, this is James and John. John is the gospel of John. John is the one that Jesus was really attached to. They had that close relationship. James is his brother. They came to him with her sons. So she, on her own, took her two sons and went to Jesus. Okay, so get this picture. These are grown men, older than teenager, younger than maybe 30. They're going with their mommy to Jesus. Okay, You got the idea here. Kneeling down and asking something from him. So they they kneel. Why? Because it's Jesus. And they recognize who he is. They know who he is. And and they're going to ask something from him. So they want to be as humble looking as they possibly can. Now watch this request. And he says to her, what do you wish? Now, Don't you wish that's what we'd hear from Jesus all the time when we would kneel in prayer with a humble heart. He says, what do you want? All of us have a laundry list, right? Here's what she says to him. Here's what mommy says for James and John, her little boys. Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left, in your kingdom. Now they are still somewhat under the mindset that Jesus is going to establish an earthly kingdom. And on this earthly kingdom, it is known that when you sit on the right hand or on the left hand, it is a a place of prominence, it's a place of honor, it's a place of authority and power. And this mother, on her own, takes her sons, and maybe they were talking about it, but she takes it upon herself to come to Jesus, kneel before him because she respects him and says, hey listen, in your kingdom, when you're sitting on your throne that we believe you will rightfully have, Will you let my son sit one on the right and one on the left? Now, probably to some degree it's an innocent, honest request. She sees the greatness of Jesus. And she sees what her boys are buying into. And sees that they are all in and surrendered. And she just wants them to have a little recognition. To have a little bit of what Jesus has. And she simply asks, may they sit on your right and on your left? Jesus answers in verse 22 and says, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? He says, listen, I appreciate the question. It's a great question, but I'm not quite sure that you understand all that you're asking. I don't think you really understand the kingdom, number one, that I'm going to be sitting on the throne with. And number two, I don't think you understand that what it means to sit on the right hand and on the left, all you have is this earthly knowledge of what that looks like. And then he asks the question. And this isn't directed at mom, this is directed at James and John. He says, listen, are you willing to drink the cup that I'm willing to drink? And usually that cup means something that's coming that's big. Some type of uh, endurance or persevering uh, um, tough scenario. And then he says, are you willing to be baptized the way that I was, or in the way that I was baptized? And they say to him, absolutely. We are able. Now, that's a bold statement. And you got to remember, we know the rest of the story. They have zero clue what's coming. And so when he says, are you able to drink the same cup? Are you able to, to live like me and travel like me and, and do the things that I'm able to do and, and serve the way that... Yes, we can do that. We're already with you. Well, are you able to be baptized the same way that I was baptized, meaning with the Spirit, not just the water baptism, which is what they saw? Well, sure we can. I can do that. Many of you may be sitting there thinking, I could preach like you." you. You might. But will you be doing it with the Spirit of God's guidance? There are things that you do that I can't. I'm okay with that. There are things that we are called to do that only we are called to do them. Jesus was called to be the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Son of God, the Son of Man. All of that. And he's saying, hey, can you follow me all the way through it? And they're like, of course. Verse 23. So he says to them, you will indeed drink my cup. He's foreshadowing. He said, absolutely, you're going to. And be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. He says, listen, you absolutely answer correctly. You just don't quite understand what that means. You're going to be baptized with the Spirit because the Spirit's going to come. But here's what's going to happen. James, we find in Acts chapter 12, James is killed by Herod's sword. He's martyred. John, later on, is boiled in oil. It didn't kill him. And so then he's sent to the Isle of Patmos where we get the revelation of Jesus Christ. He was in exile, carrying rocks on a deserted island. Or somewhat deserted. So yeah, they're going to drink from the cup but they have no idea what he's talking about. And they had no idea what to expect when the the flaming tongues rested above their heads and that wind rushed through and filled them with the Holy Ghost. They had no idea what was coming with that but man, they were all in. And when the ten heard it oh excuse me to finish verse 23 he says but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my father he's like you're asking me something that i can't do that's my father's job appreciate the question not sure you quite understand what you're asking i understand where you're coming from but there's more at play with this and it's not my opportunity to share that with you yet verse 24 here's where it gets fun when the other ten heard it they were greatly displeased with the two brothers why do you think they were displeased because James and John beat them to it they probably maybe were already thinking this stuff talking about these things and these two guys jumped the gun with mommy and went ahead and asked and the other 10 were not happy, but watch Jesus' I love his response. He always addresses things without things being said. That's fun to me. I think that's just hilarious the way he does it. I hate it when he does it to me, but it's funny when he does it to everybody else." <laughs> Jesus calls them to himself and said, "You know you know that the rulers of the Gentile lords, uh, Gentiles, lord it over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them. He's like, let me help you understand something. Let me, let, me, let me teach you here. He says, you know, you've watched these Gentiles who have authority and power. And what do those in authority and power do? They lord it over those that are under them. They, they make it miserable for them. They make it hard for them. They, just, they are, are almost arrogant with their authority. He's like, they lord it over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. He says, guys, listen, you can look in the world, and I know that's kind of what you're using as your model, as your your frame of reference. And you're thinking, well, if I have authority, then I can use that and and exercise that and and be a little bit like what you have, Jesus. He's like, not mine to give you. In fact, here's what I'm going to give you. If you want to have that type of influence, learn to serve. Learn to serve. I think it's interesting in verse 26 where he says, If you be, desire to become great among you, let him be your servant. What did Jesus do at the, the feast of the Passover before he was killed? He served by washing their feet. They didn't want him to serve them, but he did it anyway. Why? Because he was the greatest and he realized, if I need to have the biggest influence, I need to learn how to serve these men. Let me rephrase that. He didn't need to learn it. He already modeled it because he was perfect at it. We are the ones that need to learn how to serve. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He says, listen, if this is going to work at all, you've got to be okay with being least. You've got to be okay with putting others in front of yourself. Because here's why the Son of Man, again, he's referring to himself. Here's why he came. He didn't come... To be served, he came to serve. Now, if we were to take just a pause here and to ask the question, in any, if anybody in Scripture deserved to be served, who would it be? Jesus. He's God in the flesh. It's the very word of God in the flesh, living it out, modeling. And in, we understand that that type of authority, that type of personality, that person deserves All of our service, he needs to be served. And what did he say? That's not why I came. It's not why I came. I came to serve. I came to be here for those who need me. I came to be here for those that don't know me. I'm glad you're with me. I'm glad you know me. But I'm not here just for you guys. I'm here for those that don't know me yet. And isn't that so hard for us? Listen, think about this. When you get a new friend and then you see that new friend that you think is your best buddy talking to somebody else, what do we do? Oh man, I thought we were best friends. Are they going to be friends with somebody else? Maybe the disciples felt that way to some degree. Jesus is talking to all these other people but he's got us. Why does he need to talk? Because that's not why he's here. It's not about him. It's about reaching others for him I think it's interesting that Jesus in the midst of this massive question simply looks at this mother and these two disciples and simply says you just don't even know what you're asking now he's not saying that to to make them feel bad or to make them feel stupid he's just stating a fact of man that is a big question that is a loaded heavy question you don't really understand what you're asking and so many times we ask questions that we don't even understand why we're asking it or what we're asking because we're using the wrong framework we're coming at it from a worldly standpoint or from a business standpoint or from some standpoint that is not even biblical and when we come at it from all of these other standpoints we're going to be a little confused and a little frustrated So when we think about these questions, they didn't ask on their own. That's what blows my mind. These are two disciples who are walking all the time with him, and they didn't even have the courage or the the, the confidence to go to him and say, hey, you know, we appreciate all you're doing. You see we're serving with you. Can we sit on your right and left? They got their mom. They got somebody else. I I thought the disciples and Jesus were tight. They thought they were were close, and they were comfortable, and they had that relationship that they could talk, and yet we see that they didn't, because they weren't confident in their question, and maybe they already knew the answer, and they were afraid of the answer, but a lot of times they were just still earthly-minded. They were still working off this framework that, well, if he's our king and we're serving with him, then... Obviously, the way every other kingdom set up, he's got to have a right and a left-hand man. So, who better to fit? Me, Me and my brother John. We're in. Sometimes the request is a selfish and uninformed request. I'll amen that. Amen. So many times we ask things of God... That we haven't spent the time to try to figure it out in scripture yet. And we're asking the wrong question. Or the question with the wrong motive. Or we're just very uninformed. And we make snap decisions and snap judgments on things that maybe there's more going on here. Jesus is not trying to set up just the earthly kingdom. He's trying to set up the kingdom. And this kingdom is going to be in heaven, but it's going to be on earth as we exist within him. And yet, the disciples were only working with a the framework they have, and so their question was uninformed. They haven't spent enough time trying to understand, what does this kingdom mean? What does this kingdom look like? Where do we fit in here? How can we just follow you? It's, "Here's what we want. When you're ready to tell us about your kingdom, just include us in that plan." Rather than saying, Jesus, we know that you're going to set up a kingdom at some point in time. We're in with whatever you want to use us for. But because we get so caught up with what we think and what we want, we miss so much. And a lot of times we just don't understand. Do you realize there are things in life that you're just not going to understand? Many of us have accepted that. We go to the doctor and the doctor starts explaining this crazy explanation of what's going on with you and you're like, yeah. And you just trust the guy because it's so beyond your understanding. You don't understand what he's saying, but you trust him. And yet when it comes to the spiritual walk with God, where's that at? God, you got to explain this to me. I got to know everything before I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. I got to know every nook and cranny detail before I'm actually just going to surrender to you. What happened to the guy that just said, you know what, I don't quite understand, but I'm in. We do that with everything else in our life. Why, why can't we do that here? Because so many times we're uninformed and we're scared. And we're kind of wanting what we want. And we don't even understand the questions that we're asking. Look at Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. It says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts your thoughts. Can I tell you what that tells me? I'm not as smart as I think I am. And I, I feel like, please don't laugh at this, I feel like I'm a pretty smart guy. Like I can figure some things out. My wife may feel different about that, but I, I feel like, and even on my sharpest day, when I feel like and think confidently, that I know exactly what God wants for me, for my family, for our church, he will turn it upside down. Do you know why? Because my thoughts are not his thoughts yet. And his ways are so much bigger and better than my ways. And it is not until I fully surrender my heart, my mind, my wants, my desires to what he wants and what he is guiding us to I will not understand or see his ways because I will be in the way. And my favorite verse is this. It helps me understand and and gives me the faith that I have because he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that I could ever ask or think. It's not just all that I think. He can do all that I think, but he doesn't want to do just all that I think. He wants to go exceedingly, abundantly above above all those things that I think. That's the God we serve. Let's stop limiting our God as to what he can do. His Holy Spirit is so powerful, we hold him in such a tight box that he is just itching to break out. Now, I'm not asking us to be Pentecostal. If you're Pentecostal, my apologies. But what I am asking for is for us to trust him. You may not understand it, it may not make sense, and it may be beyond your thought line right here, right now, but I'm telling you one thing, he is trustworthy and he is safe. He asks a second question. He first says, you really don't know what you're asking because my ways are a little bit different than your ways. It's a little bit broader than what you might think. And now he's asking, are you ready for what's to come? Can you drink from my cup? Are you ready for what this life really entails? And many of us have accepted Christ because we just didn't want to go to hell. We understand, okay, yeah, I, I, I just want fire insurance, I'm not interested in going to hell, I'm interested in going to heaven, and so I'm going to pray this prayer. But what you prayed was a, a prayer of surrender to a holy God that wants to get in your life through the power of His Spirit and change you. And to make you into the creation that He created you to be. Why? Because there are lost people that need to see the change in your life through your verbal and living testimony so that they may see Jesus through you. That is why we are here. And so he says, are you willing to drink from my cup? Are you willing to live the life that I have just lived? Are you willing to go through what I was willing to go through, even to the point of death? And that is a fair question to all of us. Oh, that's not going to happen in our country. Maybe not. But let's travel across the pond. And let's talk to Christians who at this very moment are most likely losing their life because of their faith. They're willing to drink the cup. But are we as Americanized Christians so fat and happy and content in our christian walk that we don't we've forgotten what that means and what that looks like again they didn't understand what it meant and in this in this case the greek kind of helps us understand that it means being plunged into deep waters to kind of sink in a flood i don't know about you but if you've ever fell off a boat into deep water it's a little terrifying a little scary or floodwaters come rushing at you. That's going to be terrifying. And so is jumping in with Jesus. I did a sermon years ago called Going Deep, and there were four stages as, as to where you went based on a riverbank standing on the shore, standing in an ankle deep, standing in knee deep, and then diving all the way in and being whisked away by however swift or scary the river is many of us are still standing on the shore and in the ankle deep water we're bought in we get it but we are not riding the ride the way that god meant us to ride it It it's time that we dive all in into the deep waters to be swept away and what he really means by drinking of the cup are you in for the affliction and the suffering whoa 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 wait a second following Jesus getting my sins forgiven means everything is great sunshine and sprinkles and rainbows and unicorns is supposed to be happy and full of love and joy yes to all that except the unicorns cuz they're not real sorry kids but a life following Jesus is a life of serving and when you serve It's hard. And you get stepped on. And you get ran over. And then you get backed up on and ran over again. That's the life we have signed up for. Merry Christmas. Happy birthday. But oh, what a life it is. You can run me over any day if it means I get to experience a little bit of what Jesus experienced. We are missing so much. And we say we're willing to drink the cup. But are we? Here's what Jesus was looking for. He says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. That's what he's communicating when he looks at James and John and his other disciples, or excuse me, James and John and says, Are you willing to drink the cup? Are you willing to lay down your life for your friends? They didn't know that's what was coming. But that's what he's talking about. And there are many times where Jesus says, hey, are you willing to do this? And we're like, oh, yeah, sure. And we have no idea what's coming. And then when it comes, we freak out. He also says, by this uh, we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's in 1 John 3.16. Isn't it it interesting that it's also John 3.16 that talks about, for God so loved the world, they gave his only begotten son. Same rider, same spot, almost the same verse. In the first one, he's talking about Jesus laying down his life. And now he's speaking to followers and saying, just like Jesus, it's time for you to lay down your life. And Jesus always turns it upside down, which is so stinking frustrating, isn't it? When you think you got it figured out, when you think you've got a handle on it, he says, nope. These disciples think, man, he's the king. He's setting up a kingdom. We want to be in. We're all in. We'll surrender. We will serve you. We just want to sit on the right and the left. And he says, you missed the point. You missed the point totally. And so do we so many times. Here are thoughts that we think, because it's very much like James and John. He says, the more that I accomplish, the better the reward. Who who thinks that? Honestly, that's what we think. Please be honest, come on. That's what we think a lot of time. The better I perform, the better I am, the bigger the reward. It's the reason you work so hard at work so many times because you want that bigger bonus if you get one. Let's be real. That's where we exist. If I get close to the boss, the better opportunities I get. Let's be real. Even when you hate them, You will do whatever it takes to figure out how to work with him to where you are noticed. The older I am, I should be treated better. Now, there is some truth to that. There's a lot of truth to that. But when we use that to lord over people, that is a false statement. In fact, I would say at some point in time, The older you are, the better server you should be. I have authority, so I deserve more. That's what I think. I sit in my office every day and say, man, they owe me so much. I do not. Trust me. Trust me. You guys take very good care of us, and we appreciate it. But this is what we think. Right? This is where we live. And this is... Why it's so easy for us to identify with the disciples. They were right there with Jesus. And these are the things that they were thinking. And Jesus takes it and he turns it upside down. He clearly states that life is about serving and not about being served. Yes, contrary to the world's philosophy of give me mine. He says, whoa, stop. It's not about being served. It's about serving. It's about serving It's about serving. It's about doing without so that someone else may have. It's about seeing the needs of others over my own rather than the attitude that we have of give me mine. Listen, there's enough in the world that states that. Would you agree with that? It's all over the place. So please, church, if we agree with that statement, please don't let it be said of that of us in here. It's not about us getting ours. We'll get ours later on when Jesus says, here's what you've earned. Let's let Him be the determining factor of that and let us be His servants, His mouthpieces, His earpieces, His vision, His hands, His feet. That is what we are called to do. Excuse me. It is not about us getting. We have to change our perspective. And how did they miss this? He literally just spoke about the vineyard. You remember that passage two weeks ago? He literally just talked about that, how the the vine dresser, the vine owner was Jesus. and, And he is the one that gets to prepare giving life to everyone else. It's his job. It's his responsibility. Our job is just to serve and say thank you for whatever he brings into our life. It requires us to fully surrender to a God that we may not fully understand. We may not fully see his plan. And we may not like his plan. But the reality is, it's his plan, not yours, that's going to win souls to heaven. And we are called to serve in order for that to happen. This is the reason that he came and he set that example. That's why he came. I mean, look, look at the verse. He wanted to serve those around us. He came to serve, not to be served. We are here to serve, not to be served. We are here to reach believers and unbelievers alike. Well, how do we do that? We sang about it in the very first song. It's your testimony, testify. Now I know that's a a big word for just saying, tell your story. And we were watching... um, The the Chosen, season two, part one, or part part two, chapter one, nope chapter two, part one, yesterday. What a great story all the way through. And Jesus is sitting down, talking with this man who has a bum leg, and they brilliantly incorporate uh, the story of the uh, the Samaritan that got beat up. I'm sorry, the Jewish man that got beat up and was taken care of by the Samaritan. Brilliantly incorporated it. And Jesus looks at this man who is broken, spiritually and physically, and he says, tell me your story. And you know what hit me as I was thinking? This sermon's flowing through my brain as I'm watching this show last night. When is the last time you as a believer asked someone, tell me your story? Or were you far quicker to say, let me tell you my story? Both are important. But I have learned over time that people do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. And by asking a simple question of, tell me your story, you are sitting there engaged, listening, waiting for the prompting of the Holy Spirit to serve that soul that needs Jesus. But we are so quick as believers that they need to listen to us. They need to hear us. They need to have all the answers. No, we need to give them space for the Spirit to work through us in their lives. Let them tell their story. If you don't know their story, go ask them. Oh, but what if I don't have all the right answers? What if, I, what if, I, what if they unload and then I don't know? What if they attach themselves to me and I don't, I don't want that? That might say a lot you don't have to know all the right answers. Show me in here. Where it says, especially in the Romans road, that when you pray with somebody or you talk with somebody that you've got to have all the right answers. Anybody? Now it does say we should be knowledgeable, we should be understanding of scripture and have some scripture memorized, but nowhere in there does it say that you're going to have all the right answers. Nor are we expected to, but we are expected to serve, to be open to be inviting, and to be willing. Here are three quick things. Letter A, he served by seeking to save the lost. Here's how Jesus did it. I, for me, I'll always go back to how did Jesus do this thing? But what, what is his example? Because he's the greatest example of how to do it. And the first thing that we see is he served by seeking to save the lost. Luke 19, he said, and Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to what? Say it with me. To seek and to save that which is lost. The religious leaders are asking, why are you in Zacchaeus, a tax collector's house, eating with a tax collector and all his tax collector buddies? And Jesus said, I'm not here for you. I'm here for them. I'm here to seek And to save those who are lost. Second thing, he said his desire was to serve. We see that clearly all the way through. And in Matthew chapter 20, which is what we're reading right now, he says, Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. If you want to be the top dog, learn how to serve. Learn how to serve. Can I tell you my favorite thing to do? It's not preaching and I enjoy it. I, nope, not after Wednesday. I love to serve. Nothing moves my heart more than to serve you. Nothing moves me more than to know that I have served my heavenly father in the way that he's called me to serve. And I am always looking for opportunities to serve someone else more than being served. In fact, if you ask me if you can help me do something, you can ask my friends, I'm probably going to tell you no. I'd rather serve you. Now, I know you're thinking, well, you're stealing a blessing from me not being able to serve you. Well, we can have a conversation about that. Where's your heart with service? Is it about serving just other believers? Or is it about serving those that just don't know yet? That haven't experienced what you've experienced. They they have a story to tell, but they're scared to tell it because nobody's willing to listen to it because it's dirty and it's icky and it's gross. Folks, that is what we are called to do. But many of us can't do that because our own hearts aren't in the right place yet. And it is time we allow the Spirit of God to change us into this position of, I'm not here to get mine. I'm here to give all that I have in order to be refilled again, to give it out again. And we keep doing it until He returns. Lastly, Jesus knows who He's looking for. He knows who He's looking for. When Jesus heard that, this is Matthew chapter 9 uh, with, again, Matthew. They're asking, why are you sitting with Matthew, the tax collector? And he says to them, those who are well have no need of a physician. Right? If you're feeling good, you don't go to the doctor and say, hey doc, what's up? I just wanted to check on you. Right? Because you don't want to give them any more money than they Sorry. (laughs) If you're a doctor or a nurse, I apologize. Nothing meant by that. Those who are well have no need of a physician. What does he say after that? But those who are sick. Those who are sick. The ones that are sick are the ones that need us the most. I love all of you guys, but you guys don't need me. That's why we're in a church like this where we can pull together and pull from each other. Those that need me are those that are lost. The ones that are Suffering every day and dying internally in their own personal hell, heading to an eternal hell. Those are the ones that need us. And at what point are we going to stop serving ourselves? At what point are we going to stop serving ourselves? And begin to serve those that need him the most. Look what he says. He says, but go and learn what this means. Go figure this out. Go and work out your own salvation. Go and figure out what it means to that he desires mercy, not sacrifice. He doesn't care about your acts of sacrifice. He wants you to serve those that need him. You've got co-workers that are coming to mind right now that just absolutely irritate you. Those are the ones he's calling you to serve. You've got neighbors that you haven't spoken to in years because of some dumb thing. Those are the ones he's asking you to serve. You've got people in this church that you have separated from because of some ridiculous argument. Those are the ones he's calling you to serve. At some point, we've got to realize what he's calling us all to do. Because he says, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. To repentance. He served in humility. He said, Let nothing be done in selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. Folks, if we're going to serve, it is not about getting mine or doing what I want to do, it's about reaching those that need him the most. That's what it's about. Philippians two seventeen and 18 says, yes, and if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Paul said, listen, if it takes me pouring out every ounce of energy that I have to serve those around me, I'm in. Is that where you're at this morning? To be great, you got to serve and you got to do it like Jesus did got to do it with humility with sacrifice and with an open honest heart of service to those that need him here's some questions i got for you this morning number one when you make your request to god known do you really understand what you're asking for can you really think through what you're asking god so many times we ask him for frivolous things when's the last time you asked him to point someone out that needs to be served and to experience his grace and mercy and for him to give you the strength and the courage to witness to them. Question number two: What type of service are you modeling? What, what are we modeling? Not just in our church, but outside of here. Are we modeling that we want to serve others, or that we deserved to be served? What are we modeling? Honest question: Have you lost sight of where we are? You know, we get so comfortable in so many things. Have we lost sight? Of where we are, who we are, and what we're about. And then lastly, I told you I was going to keep asking. Have you fully surrendered everything to him? What a great opportunity you have this morning to come and just kneel at the feet of Jesus and say, I'm all in. Help me to know. Help me to see. Help me to do something different. I'm going to be standing up here. and be happy to pray with you. Let me pray for you right now.